welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Uh, after a pretty slow start to 2024, we are in main card territory, really, or the, the first major card territory for the UFC. Uh, on the verge of UFC 298, which is this week, of course. We've got some very good fights, which we will cover in just a few minutes. Um, Ian is wounded today. He is back on the trail of becoming a, pres- a professional footballer at the ripe old age of 92. Um, he has joined a five-a-side tournament where you just uh work? My, my, my work work did quite a lot of five sides and you obviously get the afternoon off work uh so uh yeah came out of retirement for uh probably haven't played in like i would have thought five years every time i play i fuck my ankles on my knee so uh went in bought some new ankle straps my legs looked like fucking mummies just because my ankles were strapped so tight but um still got it mate still got it no one could believe that they were like you haven't played in five years. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm fucking 42. They were like, you're fucking 42. I was like, yeah, did you not know this? They were like, oh, we thought you were like 30 something. I was like, yeah, stop fucking pulling my leg. They were like, no, 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 <laughs> really. But uh, no, no, we did all right. We got to the, as I said, it was a, a convoluted uh, tournament format where they're like Champions League and shit. But we won our initial group, two wins and a draw. Um, and then we went, uh, we went through to the next round and they did it like a Champions League and a Europa League bullshit. But we got to the, the semi finals of the Europa League before getting knocked out. Where do you normally play in five a side? Because you always get these people, don't you? Where obviously there's no positions, but there's always someone that hangs back, there's always someone who wants that's, to be. I'm, Chris I'm, 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 oh, the, the problem that's the major problem we had in the team is that we had no one to finish. We had so many chances and nobody could finish. We had a couple of guys that were quite fit and were just running around like lunatics. Um, I think I'm relatively fit, uh, for 42, but you forget like how hard five a side is. It's not the same as running, cycling like that. So, uh, I just marshaled the defense at the back, but you know me, I'm, I'm a, all in or all out, man. I can't go anything like 50%. So fucking my knees are all grazed where I was doing sliding tackles and getting pulled up by the refs. And then the ref had a word with me at one point because I started calling him a cunt because like, what are you fucking talking about? And he said, you call me that again, I'll send you off. Um, so yeah, straight back into it as usual, mate. But it was uh, the, the competitive, got the old competitive juices flowing again. But so, so you've um, been banned for life now. You're not allowed back. Uh, no, 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 I think I'm, I'm playing again. There's a, we've got a, a grudge match against the Manchester office coming up in a few weeks. Ooh. So it was a bit of a tester for that. And uh, I think I'm now part of, uh, from what they said, a fully full, fully fledged member of the team, such as my uh, level of performance. So uh, they do quite quite a lot, really, but uh, get quite a lot of time off work for doing it as well. So it's class of business, <laughs> class of business development. So it's quite sweet, really. So uh yeah, um, I'm not going to complain. But I, I got home, had a bath. Obviously, it's on AstroTurf with that black shit. So you just got in, took my clothes off, just black shit everywhere. All in your shoes bad. and your socks. Oh, and... mate, I went upstairs. I managed to try and keep it to a minimum downstairs. Went up into the shower, took, off, took all my clothes off in the shower. And it's just like a deluge of shit. And then I'm just like, got it, ran myself a fucking boiling hot bath to thought give this old body a creaking body a bit of a rest and uh you know there's black shit floating in the bath i'm sure i pulled a couple of bits out of my ass crack i don't know how the fuck i got that amount of stone that gets everywhere 
that shit. But, you know um, how it got there. Let's not pretend. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. But as I say, well, the real judge will be uh, how I feel my legs feel tomorrow morning, I would have thought, because I bet I'll be fucking limping like a motherfucker. I'm going to say it's the doms, isn't it? You'll wake up tomorrow and you'll have to combat the stairs and think, ah, oh, it's not worth yeah, it. Yeah, just be like, uh, struggling <laughs> into work, like on a Zimmer frame. But um, yeah, 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 it's good to, good to, good to be back, enjoyable. So, uh, but, uh, and good for fitness as well, I suppose, isn't it, really? And I say, half day off work, so can't complain. It's all that matters in the end. Uh, UFC 298 then. Uh, as I say, it's this weekend. Uh, it is, I believe, is it California? Is it the Honda Center in Anaheim? Um, taking place on February the 17th. We're recording this on the 15th, uh, day after Valentine's Day. Obviously, for us over here, it will be very early morning. I think you said that you are having people around, did you not? Or is it this one, or is it 299? Uh, 299 uh, people coming around for. Yeah, so, uh... this, this is another diehard event. It's for those who obviously have to uh, really prove that they are UFC fans and, and veterans of the game because I think the main event starts at about three, is it? Yeah, I, d- I'm, I, I might get up for I might just put the alarm on for the uh, like top three or four fights that we're going to roll through and then go back to bed for it but um, yeah, I'll probably get up for this one I would have thought but definitely staying up for 299, 299 is absolutely stacked. Well I can't profess to be a, a Volk super fan can I and then miss his fights so I might have to set my alarm for that and Volk is obviously a good place to start. We have the main event of this card, 298, one that is extremely intriguing for a number of different reasons. And that is, of course, the current featherweight champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, against Ilya Tupura. Um This is one of those that there is a number of different narratives as we get into it, a number of different opinions on it. I'm sure I will agree with very little of those opinions. I'm sure we'll have a disagreement about a number of opinions. Um, where do we start with this? Because we've had a lot of talk in the press about Volkanovsky's status. We obviously saw his late notice spot against the lightweight champion and current pound for pound number one, Islam, um, which he got absolutely paggered in. That There wasn't really any doubt about that. He got his head kicked off, uh, took it on very short notice has claimed that he's had a lot of issues in terms of his drinking recently, um, his weight, his mentality potentially. All these point to the most obvious outcome of a new passing of the torch to Pura to come in and to take the title. And I think some people were comparing him to, uh, or this fight comparing to McGregor versus Aldo, which, no, not at all. Um, how do you see it going? Depends on Volk, I think. Um, I mean, obviously, he's 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 off the, coming off the back of that crushing loss to Islam. The like you say, the recent revelations of his drinking and uh, being unprepared for the fight. Um, I don't think he'll make the same mistakes. So I, I fully expect to see back to um, the Volkanovski that we're used to. Um, I mean, you always love to use the phrase "passing of a torch." It definitely could be one of those moments where. If Tapura wins, he could go on and become a bit of a superstar. He's riding a six-fight win streak in the UFC, 14-0. Is a very flashy striker, can do a bit of everything. But um, it depends on how clever Volkanovski plays the game for me. If not, Volkanovski's got infinitely better takedowns, um, infinitely better kind of uh, close range boxing um, and if he can stay away probably from the, the flashy kicks 
and striking ability of uh, Tapura. Um, I think he takes it and puts himself back in the, uh, the, the... I don't quite see his reign uh, as the champ coming to an end just yet. I mean, it's easy to say, isn't it? If we take away the last Islam fight, I don't think that there is a single individual in... Apart from lunatics, uh, but I don't think that there are many individuals that would be back into Pura in this fight. The Islam fight and the short notice and everything, and we had a, a very in-depth discussion before he took that fight or the second fight for the, the title to become pound pound. And there's obviously there's, there's the legacy there. There's the potential to be uh, written down in history forever as a champ champ, which we know not many people have done that previously. He shouldn't have taken that fight. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I know we agree on that. And I think he would probably, looking back on that, regret that quite strongly. As I said, take that fight out. Volk has gone through the last, what, since about 2016, I think it was, that he came into the UFC. So the past um, sort of eight years, he's gone through every single person in that division. There was only really, I think, uh, Chad Mendes that he had a bit of an issue with back in 2018. Everyone else, you know, your Holloway, your Ortega, Aldo, um, Korean Zombie, everyone like that, he has basically walked through. He's not had any issues whatsoever. You know, there was Rodriguez as well, um, et cetera, et cetera. There was only Islam. And Islam is a different breed of fighter. Tapura is a very good fighter. He's a very good striker. The people that he's come up against aren't in the same league as the people that Volk has fought. And this is the first time for me that Tapura is stepping up and fighting someone worthy of really pushing him on. And if he wins this fight, obviously things change significantly for him. But we look back through the fights that he's had, you know, Jai Herbert, where he got rocked. And that was the first real fight that I think I took note of uh, Tapura. Bryce Mitchell, Ryan Hall, uh, Josh Emmett. I know Josh Emmett isn't uh, a pushover, but they're not the top of the top. And, you know, he's not taken on a Holloway, for example. And, I think that this fight is coming too soon for him. I think it's a perfect opportunity for Volk to get back on his win streak, get back to doing what he does best. And I agree entirely. If the Volk that we know and the Volk that we have got to gotten used to for the last eight years comes into this matchup, he will absolutely dominate. And I think we'll take out Tapura and end this little bit of a hype train that he's got behind him. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned Emmett. I mean, Emmett does have the most uh, KOs in featherweight history. So, I mean, that is, uh, you know, uh, uh, the only probably decent name on his resume so to, so far. But, yeah, I totally agree that I think it's a little bit too soon. He could have fought a few other. I don't you know. Someone like Ortega would have been a good matchup, maybe to kind of test his standing in the division before he'd, he'd got uh, thrown into Volk. But he is ranked number three. Um, as you say, I feel he, you're right. He does have a bit of a, a hype train behind him, um, and because a lot of that is the the manner in which he finishes those fights, because he is quite flashy. He is slightly Connor esque in that you know he would come in and take people out in quite a devastating fashion. That um, that's probably what's put the fight together, really. But yeah, I, I think if we, if, if Volk, particularly probably after his, his I think you, you, most people would probably agree that it was a pretty humbling loss to uh, to Islam, uh, and the fact that you know he he knows he can do better, and he, as you say, he wants to get people back on side that he's you know in the pound for pound number one sort of talk. Um, 
I see him taking him down, using wrestling, taking him down. Whether he finishes, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I could see it going five rounds, but I could see it, see it being 4-1, 3-2, probably something like that by unanimous decision to Volk would be my uh, prediction if I had to give one. It's a good shout. I just get the feeling, I, I think you are absolutely spot on in terms of the game plan. And obviously we saw Volk deal with Islam in that first fight and he, he hung around with him on the mat. He did very well to compete with him. It was a very, obviously a very close fight. And then the outlier of the second fight, I'm going to choose to ignore for now. But I think if that happens in this fight, Tapura will get very, very frustrated very, very quickly. And as we get to the latter rounds, the fourth or fifth, where he might be three rounds, four rounds but down by that point, he will come out and try and swing and try to take Volk's head off, at which point I think he'll get caught. So I'm going to go for a late knockout or TKO, whatever it might be, Volk. Fair enough. So uh, we're in pretty much agreement about, as you say, the game plan is definitely there. Tapur has never really been tested uh, on the ground. Like you say, one of the, the most impressive things from Volk in the first fight with Islam was how he did manage to deal with his takedowns and his takedown defence and keep getting back up again. So if he if he executes a game plan like that on Tapura, isn't that unless Tapura has been, you know, seriously resting in the background, which I'm sure he, he would have been and I'm sure he would have been training. But um yeah, vote for me all day. We have a come in uh, of Whitaker and Paolo Costa. This is one that I think that you're quite excited for as well of the and we'll go through the top four of the, the card, but I think this is one that you're quite looking forward to here. Yeah, well, Wicker's, you got to feel really sorry for him, really, because he's ranked number three at middleweight, 26 and seven. Um, and, you know, that record is slightly deceiving because quite a lot of those losses were when he was actually fighting at welterweight. So we used to fight at a lower weight and, and struggled with the cut. Wasn't that quite, quite good. Uh, stepped up to middleweight and suddenly just started blasting through people, you know, Yo Romero, you know, incredible record and has only really lost, you know, at middleweight to the very best. So he did lose to Duplessis in his last fight and he's lost twice to Izzy in title fights. So, you know, that there's no shame in that. Costa's ranked number six uh, in the rankings and is an absolute tank. He's, I mean, he's always injured and you, he, he's one that you always wonder what could have been if he was managed to stay fit. Got a record of 14 and two, and his only two losses are to, also to Izzy, but he did lose to Martin Vittori. But that was by um, point, lost by points, and he was deducted a point in that fight for an eye poke. So if he hadn't lost that point, I think he may well have won the fight. So, you know, he's only, you could argue, he's only written again. Martin Vittori is a pretty tough guy. Um, you know, again, gatekeeper, we say that all the time, but beats the vast majority of the middleweight division, but just loses to the elite. Um, but Whitaker is, is so well-rounded. Um, it's just the quality of opposition he's faced recently has probably made him look worse to the to most fans than he actually is. You know, he's an absolutely superb fighter. Um, hasn't lost a bit of hunger as far as time caught up with him a little bit. You know, he doesn't quite seem to be the same complete, you know, he, he was one of the most complete fighters, I would say, when he was middleweight champ. There were very little, if any, flaws in his game. You know, he was a, a seven and a half, an eight out of ten at everything. You know, striking, wrestling, jiu-jitsu. He had very little, few flaws. 
Paulo Costa is obviously Brazilian, so he obviously comes has a naturally has a jiu-jitsu background, but is ultimately a, a knockout artist. He's coming to take your head off, and if he catches anyone on the chin with a flush shot, then the chances are he's going to put you to sleep. Yeah, I mean, we know full well that Costa hits like a truck, essentially, and that will be the game plan. He has the tools to cause issues for Whitaker. Whether he actually will, I am exceptionally doubtful of. I don't think Costa's really done much or shown that he's at that higher level anymore, certainly not for the last sort of three, maybe four years. Um, as I say, I think he can cause problems for Whitaker, but Whitaker has if you look back at his resume, has made quite an, an easy um, section of coming forward against these slower, quote-unquote, knockout artists who will try to take him down, um, and he'll just pick him apart. And then once he's picked him apart, he'll make sure that they can't get back into the fight. I don't think there'll be a knockout in this. I think that's the only way that Costa wins uh, by knockout, but I don't think he will. I think Whitaker will win it by decision and probably a, a unanimous, comfortable decision. I'm a little bit concerned for his career, in all honesty, in, in general for Whitaker, because he wins this fight, let's say, which I think we would expect. What does he do next, really? Um, you know, DDP absolutely dismantled him in the fight against him, so that title fight isn't really available for him at this moment in time. Who else is around to really satisfy him? He He's just got to keep winning until he gets a chance again. But as it stands and as the uh, the division stands, I don't really think there's much interest in Wicker getting a title fight. Yeah, he's kind of in limbo, particularly with the, the two above him being DDP and, and um, Izzy. And he's lost twice to Izzy uh, and he's lost once to, uh, you know, in, in quite uh, harsh fashion to, to DDP. So as you say, he probably is going to have to loiter around. Um, I'm not entirely sure who's ranked fourth. And he's of Costa's ranked sixth. So, whether, you know, someone like Vittori, uh, probably if he hasn't already beaten Vittori, maybe. But Vittori's probably around five or four in the title. But as you say, he's probably going to have to string together two or three wins against ranked opposition and, and hope that, you know, um, the UFC give him a chance potentially against DDP. And that may well even be very dependent on what Izzy does. If he has his long hiatus, like he's talked about, then you could see Whitaker getting thrown in uh, a bit quicker, maybe after this win, maybe one more. Um, But if Izzy does come back, Izzy's definitely going to get the title shot straight away. I'm sure against DDP, I can't, particularly with the bad blood between them, you know, the African, you know, I'm a real African because I live in South Africa shit compared to, you're Nigerian, but you live in America and all that kind of malarkey that they were talking about um, before um, when they were sort of building towards a fight. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think he's just, I'm not entirely sure uh, how what a win does for his, his career. I don't think they're going to put him straight into uh, against back in a rematch against DDP. Next fight on the card, we have Jeff Neal versus Ian Gary. And, uh, I mean, his his nickname, Ian Gary, is, is quite apt in that, I think he's called the future. Um, he has been tipped for exactly that. The, the talk about him since his breakthrough in the UFC has been that he is the future of, um, of the division, that he is going to come forward, that he's going to be unstoppable. It's yet another hype train that the UFC has. And, of course, because he's Irish, 
the ultimate and inevitable comparison is that he's the new Conor McGregor, which we've already said about another fighter in this uh, in this podcast already, so it, it gets thrown out a lot. Um, this is going to be a comprehensive win, is it not? I mean, it is, but what I, I, what I couldn't really believe is, I mean, he, he, he he's quite a sensible chap in Gary that he sort of said, look, I want a fight two or three more ranked opposition and work my way up through the rankings before a title fight. I, how on earth Jeff Neal at 15 and 5 and his record is ranked number 8, I've got no idea compared to Ian and Gary, who's only number 10, uh, 13 and 0 with a six-fight win streak in the UFC is slightly baffling for me. But yeah, um, he's going to put him away pretty quickly. Um, you know, Neil's a pretty tough guy all round. Again, n- not great at anything, but probably, you know, relatively well-rounded, whereas Gary is a particularly flashy striker, you know, very much a bit like Tapura in some ways as well. But um, I think their they're levels apart and I would expect a f- fairly convincing KO from uh, Ian Gary and on up the rankings. Yeah, I, I can't really see much help. The only other argument would be uh, a Gary win by decision, and that would be because there might be a bit of tension. Gary, I'm, I'm sure, is very, very suspect of Neil's power and will not want to do anything stupid when he is obviously on his way up the path and up the ladder. Neil is sort of limbo in the, the bottom of the, the upper 10. Um, unless Neil knocks him out, which I just don't see... It's comprehensive either way. Either Gary is going to absolutely coast through 15 minutes and have a convincing unanimous decision, or like you say, he's going to catch him, he's going to knock him out because Neil is going to try and headhunt all the way through the fight. Yeah, I think we're kind of in agreement uh, on that one. I mean, probably the most interesting and slept-on fight, I think, on the main card is uh, Dash Philly. Um, so this is at um, Bantamweight. Bantamweight, um, yeah. Um, Ujo so... and Dash Philly. Dishvili's ranked number two, uh, 16 and four, but with a nine fight win streak, fighting number two, sorry, number three in the in the rankings in Sahujo. How Sahujo is number three, I've got no idea, given he was a former champ champ, retired briefly, uh, and then came back in. Um, this one is the one where Dashville is absolutely deserved, far more deserving of the title fight. Uh, that's headlining 299 against Sean O'Malley than Chio Vera. But there's kind of two limbs to that. One, it feels like we talked about it before, the UFC's giving O'Malley, who's a bit of a rising star, a chance to avenge his only loss, as Chio beat him. But also, Dash Philly did not ingratiate himself very well with Dana and the UFC generally, because when they were trying to put him together for a fight for the title, he refused because the current title holder at that point was um, Sterling, who's his best mate and training partner. And he said he wouldn't ever fight him. Um, And Dana has this kind of uh, habit of punishing people uh, when they make those kind of decisions. He's called it stupid before. You know, he says when guys get together like that, the same weight and get very good, that that there should be, you know, there's an inevitability that they might their paths might cross at some point. But Dash really, I mean, quite honourable, you know, as a mate saying that I'm never going to fight you, but has completely fucked himself by, and as I say, that's not the kind of shit that Dana forgives. So even if he wins, he'd be the obvious and absolute undeserving 
next shot at whoever wins uh, uh, the you know and I, I, personally I do think Amali does get revenge uh, against Cheeto if I'm honest with you at two nine nine um, but um, we will see but one thing that's come out in the last couple of days is uh, Suhujo has confirmed that he will one hundred percent retire for good if he loses again again so he says yeah. it's all or nothing so um, but both have a kind of quite a similar wrestling heavy style um dash ready by decision for me you know it's definitely for me the most intriguing matchup on the card uh, and the reason for that is exactly what you've just mentioned at the end they both have very heavy wrestling styles um i mean obviously when we look at um dashville he has always been a standout wrestler and then you look at Sahuja who is an Olympic gold medalist in freestyle wrestling. So you've got two very similar styles clashing here. This isn't a matter of um, one's going to try and knock your head off, one's going to try and avoid it and take the other down. You are playing a chess game. It's very difficult to back against Ashville because he is arguably the fighter in the division at the moment. And I understand O'Malley is the champion and I'm very much a fan of O'Malley. I think O'Malley versus Dashvili is a very bad matchup for O'Malley. And whether that's something that ever gets made because of the points that you've put forward, we'll see. But if Dashvili keeps going through opponents and there's no one left for O'Malley to fight, it seems that that would be inevitable and the only real matchup that would be left to make. I could see Sahujo getting an upset here. And I say upset, I think just in terms of the odds that would be put there, I think Sahujo is um, the underdog and Dashville is the quite heavy favourite. I could see an upset. Either way, someone's winning this by uh, by decision. I don't think that you're going to see a knockout, of course, and I don't think you're going to see any submission. I think it's going to be a proper, old-fashioned, classic wrestling match, which for the purists uh, of UFC in general, I think people are going to love it. I think anyone tuning in to watch Volk and the other fights with Gary and, you know, someone looking for a knockout, you might watch this and think this might be time for the bathroom break, which I would disagree with, by the way. And if you're going to watch it, make sure you catch this fight because it will be a very, very, very interesting matchup. But it's not going to be a highlight reel, should we say? Yeah, but it hasn't got fight of the night written over it, put it that way. Um, you know, it's going to be probably relatively, as you say, wrestling heavy, a lot of grappling, a lot of taking each other down, trying to wear each other out. I think it won't, um, as you say, won't be an exciting fight to watch for the um, the more casual fan. But um, I see Dash really marching on and you can't, you know, if he does win, um, taking out a former champ, champ and champion of that division as well. 10-fight win streak, it's hard, you know, even with the bad blood between him and Dana, it's hard to deny him that next title shot, really. Agreed, agreed. We had some very brief UFC 300 news this week, and it was on uh, Helwani's podcast. Um, he had basically made out that there were discussions with regards to the, the main event, uh, of UFC 300, because of course, we still got nothing official announced on this. The discussions that he had put forward that has got everyone talking is that there is a potential Leon Edwards, Kimaev, or Chimaev matchup for the title, which obviously creates other significant issues in terms of making weight and 
whether that would happen, whether you're going to potentially risk the Centennial card collapsing at the main event because of someone who is um, or has made quite a habit of not making weight and, and laughing it off previously. There were also three other suggestions, those three suggestions being DDP versus Adesanya, which DDP has uh, distanced himself from. He's basically said that that fight should happen, but should happen at UFC Africa and would sell out in terms of that, which makes entire sense. Uh, There is a question mark of DDP versus Chimaev, which again, I think if DDP is not wanting the Adesanya fight or the Izzy fight at this, I don't think he'll want to fight full stop at 300, which... I don't know if I agree with that. Obviously, you would think that most fighters would want to be on the Centennial card. And then the other argument was something that we've talked about a number of times before, which I think is the most likely in all honesty, and that would be Leon Edwards versus Bilal. Um, Obviously, there was a previous matchup with them, with the eye poke, and that was never really settled. I think Edwards would take that, but still nothing announced. What do you see happening? Any of those four? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Just just before uh, I came, we came on air. Uh, a mate texted me. who's one of the lads who's coming around for the uh, two nine nine about a picture of Twitter of some probably ridiculously unreliable source saying Edwards Kamaev uh, was going to be three hundred. And I, I I still I have my doubts. That you said the biggest thing for me, I think, on that is the the, the doubts over Kamaev making one seventy. You know, he's failed at least twice, if not three times. I think the UFC would not like to do that. Now, what they could do is have Bilal as backup, because I think that's the most inevitable of the three uh, that you've just run through. That Hawani, you know, you'd think is pretty close. He's a, you know, probably the preeminent MMA journalist. Um, Edwards Bilal, it screams it to me um, that that all day. But as you say, if you wanted to try and make a bit more of a um, a fight that fit, that doesn't feel as much as we're you know both huge Leo and Edwards fans, obviously been to see him live, you know that doesn't really feel like a headliner for a centennial for me, you know in terms of name recognition value. Bilal gets slept on; he's very very good, but it doesn't quite feel like a headliner for me. I mean. O'Malley Cheeto is is a bigger fight if you if you were talking headline and why not save that for three hundred? So, but you know if you were looking at options, you could you know just to mix those up up a little bit, you could say Edwards Kamaev and then you could have Balawas back up if Kamaev didn't make weight. Equally, the one for me that I think I would be quite interested in seeing is Edwards go up to take on DDP for that 185 belt. I quite fancy that. I don't know if Edwards would fancy that. I don't know if he would, but, um, you, you know, he's talked before about wanting to go up eventually. Um, you know, he hasn't anywhere near really wiped out the division, but I think um, what I don't understand about DDP, you're right, he has sort of said that it, it, he... For Adesanya, he wants that to be a UFC Africa event and, you know, he's kind of saying, no, I don't know why anyone who's a champion who gets pay-per-view percentage points would ever turn down fighting on a uh, Centennial card because they are going to make serious bank. So for someone like DDP, who's on the rise, not going to have been, you know, only just been made champion, not made a hell of a lot of money throughout his career for sure, this would be his by far and away the biggest payday if he was on the on the card, whoever he fought. So, 
it feels a little bit stupid to potentially turn turn that opportunity down. But um, if it's against Kamaev, I wouldn't blame him because he's a frightening fighter to, to, to fight against um, wrestling-wise. And as, as much as DDP is on the rise and um, is pretty well-rounded, I don't, I don't think, you know, Kamaev is the boogeyman. No one wants to fight him. I mean, we say that, but hasn't Chimaev called out maybe... Pretty sure he's called out Edwards, he's called out Pereira, he's called out Izzy, he's called out Strickland, he's called out DDP, and he's not fought a single one of them. I thought he'd also said something, I don't know if it's recent or it's in the past, with regards to he doesn't want to fight anywhere near Ramadan. Um, I think Ramadan ends on the 9th of April this year. Um, obviously, UFC 300 is the 13th, 13th or 14th, um, I believe I am. Pretty sure it's 13. So that might potentially rule him out in terms of any fights, whether it be against Leon, whether it be against DDP, um, because he, he obviously is, is quite religious when it comes to that. The dream fight for me remains, I've talked about it before, and it might just be complete and utter nonsense, but the dream fight for me remains Aspinall, Poetang for the interim. Like just no chance. That's, that's just the no one chance. for me. If, if you want to make a centennial card you know headline event that's got the gravitas that a, a 300 deserves that's the one for me but you know Aspinall has come out and said it and said that I'll do it I'll take the fight you know Poetang has been quite quiet uh hasn't really said anything um in in response or anything that I've seen anyway but if I could if you know if I if I'm Dana and I'm looking for a fight that's gonna just send that card into the stratosphere that would be the one off of both of those guys, a shitload of money. They're both champions anyway, so they're going to make um, a hell of a lot of money in terms of the pay-per-view percentage points. And I think that probably adds, you know, half a million buys, something like that to the probably the overall pay-per-view. So that one for me would be the one that uh, still remains the dream that um, I hope is to be announced. But as you say, I get the feeling I'm probably dreaming. Got to start with the big news in football, really, haven't we? Um, Palace have sacked Roy Hodgson tonight. Uh, he okay. has, yeah, he has been fired and replaced by uh, Oliver Glasner, um, who I'll be honest, I know very little about. In terms never of even heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Who's his, who, 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 did, who did he manage? Who, who, well, he managed Palace now. <laughs> well, who have they got him from? Uh, he was he? jobless, I believe. Um, he has previously been at Frankfurt and Wolfsburg um, before taking over the job at uh, Palace. It's been a bit of a weird day for Palace and for Roy Hodgson. So at the start of the day, there were all these rumours swirling that Glasgow were about to take over and that Hodgson was about to be sacked. Obviously, having just recently taken his out of charge of his 200th game, Um he actually, I don't know if you've seen about this, because obviously you've been at football. He's collapsed today, and I don't know whether he's had a heart attack or um, he's had some sort of bout, whether it's illness that he's been battling for a while, but he's been taken to hospital. Um, we believe that he's in a stable condition, he's undergoing tests. Was this before week. or after he was sacked? Well, this is the question. Uh, loads of people were saying that it was like, um, I don't know if you... stress-induced heart attack. Exactly, yeah. People were saying it was like Gillian McKeith on the I'm a Celeb old series where she pretended to fake so she didn't have to do the trial. Um, 
but yeah, obviously people forget how old Roy Hodgson is. He he isn't sort of a, a spring chicken and um with the abuse that he's got over the last few weeks, I mean he's a seventy six year old man, so the abuse that he's been getting off fans, um, off supporters in general on things like social media, um, his players clearly aren't happy with him because they're losing consistently. You just feel like, look, Roy, just take the money, get out of this game, you've done enough football. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, look after yourself. Don't when don't you, risk your health. When you said about the big news of the day, what I did see ping through on my phone while I was just having a pint at the end. You got a free pint and a burger at the end. Of the, uh, at the end of the football was on my phone that I thought is. Uh, I saw it had officially been announced that Mbappe was leaving PSG. Correct. So I wondered if you were going to mention about that. I mean, it's got to be Real, and it? he hasn't said where, but it's got to be Real. So it says it's between Real and between Liverpool. Uh, I don't see it personally as much as it would be very, very fun to see him in the Premier League. And I'm sure that you're not going to turn him down. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any... Uh, well, protest. there's still talk, isn't there, that, that it seems to have come back on the table recently that the Saudis are still prepared to pay ridiculous £200 million for Mo. So take that £200 million, Mbappe could have his rumoured wanted hundred million pound signing on fee out of it, and then the rest pays for his rumoured half a million a week wages. So And you can um, sack off Nunes and then use his wage to give to Mbappe as well. And everyone's happy then. As much as I uh wouldn't want to lose Mo, uh, Mo is our highest earner on three seven five a week. If we could sell him for two hundred, cut the wage bill by that, and that could then facilitate Mbappe, I'd do it all day. Question for you. Would you, if you were given the opportunity now and you had to make the decision, you lose more to Salah's... We know Salah's going in June, so I'm going to say that you're going to agree to that. You also lose Van Dijk, who is obviously fading a little bit, and you also lose Alisson, but you get Mbappe. Would you take that as a trade? No. Not at all? No. Wouldn't Wouldn't even slightly be... Not even considering it? Not even consider losing the best goalie in the world and arguably the top one of the top three centre backs in the world. Van Dyke's fading. I w- Van Dyke's definitely fading, and Allison is definitely one of the best goalkeepers in the world, if not the best. But if you're giving me the chance to trade a very good goalkeeper for a standard goalkeeper, but to bring in Kylian Mbappe, who is arguably the best player in the world, I- I'm shocked that you would not say yes to that. Nah, not for that trade. Um, as you say, use the Mo money and put it into that. Yes, Van Dyke is fading, but has at least got another couple of years uh, at the top because of um, how he reads the game. His game isn't particularly based on pace. Um, and Allison, even though he's still getting on a bit, obviously we know goalies can be quality until they're, you know, Peter Schmeichel was still world-class at 36, 37. So Allison, I think, is 30. So has still you could easily have five or six years left yeah. in him. So um no, I wouldn't take that. But I think the most he's going to Madrid um, in it, regardless. It's, it's a, I think yeah. it's kind of irrelevant, really. I think it's 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 one of the worst kept secrets in football, isn't it? Really, that he's going to Madrid, and it makes Madrid quite frightening. Um, realistically, when you then you know them and City. they're just poles apart from anybody, aren't they? Squad wise, then if you add Mbappe. You know, the, the only thing you would say Madrid are really missing 
is a potent striker ever since they lost um, Benzema to the uh, the Saudis. They haven't, you know, Bellingham has done a fantastic job. You know, Vinicius Junior scores a lot of goals, but they don't have that focal point that someone like Mbappe would be able to give them. But you, you're talking, you know, them and Man City, their squads are just so far above everybody else's if that, if that, if that does happen. Question for you. So just on our favourite word, the segue. Um, FA Cup, do you still think it holds high heritage in English football? Do you still appreciate what it brings? And are you still happy that it is being shown on BBC and ITV regularly? It's free to air and everyone can enjoy it. Um, I mean, I I am because I think I'm from a generation when the FA Cup meant something. Um, You know, that you you got, uh, certainly growing up, I didn't have Sky, so I never got to see the matches like that unless I was going around a mate's house. The FA Cup was the most sort of frequent football that was on TV for someone like me to watch as a kid. And it held a lot more sway. You know, the Champions League wasn't quite as, um, you know, the dominant forward or quite so important and well, quite so financially worthwhile uh, back then as well. So I'm quite old school in that I still like the FA Cup. Um, I, I mean, again, it's the one for me that doesn't, no one really is giving a shit about is the, whatever it is now, Carabao. Carabao. Is now? Carabao. I mean, how, how many iterations has it been through from the milk? I can milk. remember it's the milk cup, the Coca-Cola cup, the... I'm sure the Worthingtons or something, the Carling Cup. The Carling Cup, as I say, it's been through so many iterations that that's the one that no one gives any shit about. But yeah, I, and I, I, you know, I, I, it's, I think it's one of those that it mean it does mean something. And particularly if I was a, I'd say a team outside of hunting for the top four, I would invest a lot of time trying to win the, you know, putting out four teams, even, even against lower opposition, wouldn't see that as an opportunity to rest them, to try and get a bit of silverware. I do feel that when you're a team, I don't know if you, this is what you're trying to, your point is getting at something like someone like Liverpool, when they're, they're battling on four fronts, it is one personally for me that, you know, for the league, you could sacrifice it, you know, all right, we're not in the champion. If, you, if you, you're in the Champions League, you definitely would rather concentrate on the Champions League and uh, the league itself rather than that. So it would probably rank third. We're only in the um, Europa League, so that doesn't really hold a great deal of sway. Um, but equally, I suppose, in Klopp's last season now, it is the only trophy I think that he hasn't won. So there's kind of a, a sort of renewed sort of point in my mind. It would be quite nice for him to to go out winning that potentially with the league um, as unlikely as the league might be, but at least complete the set of trophies that he's won everything at Liverpool. Um, but so, yeah, I, it, it does. But to answer your question, yeah, I think it does still mean something to me. I think the younger generation are far less bothered by it because TV now, most people have access to Sky and TNT and things like that. So they can watch the Premier League, they can watch the Champions League. So they don't, the, the need to watch the games on ter- terrestrial TV isn't there. Whereas you say, when, when I was a kid, um, I think I'd like, say out of my like six best mates that we all hang around with, maybe two had Sky. That's, that, it was quite rare for someone to have Sky 
when I was growing up, not that many people had it. So you were, you know, the FA Cup was the major sort of mainstay of football that was on TV available to the majority of people. So let me just read out a statement from Mark Bullingham, who is the FA Chief Executive. The Emirates FA Cup is our crown jewel, and it helps us to provide vital investment across every level of English football, supporting clubs, communities, facilities, and the wider grassroots game. Every season and across every round, the Emirates FA Cup creates incredible moments and unforgettable memories for fans. This new partnership will see selected matches shown live on TNT Sports, as well as some free-to-air from the first round of the competition through to the final at Wembley Stadium. And this is on the back of an announcement that the FA and TNT Sports have agreed a new four-year broadcast deal for the Emirates FA Cup starting from the 25-26 season. So you'll no longer get your terrestrial FA Cup games, which I think genuinely is an absolute disgrace and things like this I, I wanted you to say that exact answer Ian that's exactly what I was looking for in terms of the FA Cup still means a hell of a lot to a lot of people and no one cares about the Mickey Mouse Cup you can stick that on Sky do what you want with it TNT are clearly trying to rival that by saying right well you can have the Mickey Mouse Cup uh, the Carabao Cup will take the FA Cup I'm not calling it the Emirates FA Cup because that's nonsense um, but you now have to pay to watch the FA Cup and the games that have been making such a headline over the last few years, people love seeing, you know, your little clubs making big headlines and the cup sets and all this type of thing. You're now in a position where, unless you're paying for this additional subscription of TNT Sports, you're not going to be able to watch it. And ultimately, you wonder why people are paying for, you know, dodgy fire sticks and IPTV in the back. Did you just use the pun cup sets? I did. Do you like that? I'd never heard that before. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah I, I, I think it's what the, the piss take of it really is, and where again, let's be honest, it's down to money. Football is selling its soul. We've seen it over the years get more and more. But the problem is with that is when you get the quite regular, you know, Liverpool City, Liverpool Chelsea in the third, in the fourth round, you know, the big Premier League ties they will be the ones that instantly will go on TNT. So you're going to be left with, you know, a Premier League team against maybe a championship team or the team, you know, not quite those good games. And again, not everybody does, you know, it's a lot more accessible, like you say, these days, Sky, TNT, and then all of these, you know, I hear people, can, you know, you, if, you, if you want to find, uh, it, you know, there's even ways you can find, um, I know someone that... Professors to me that he can he's, he's got this Twitter account that he follows that just put up links and you can just click on the links and watch all the time. Premier League yeah, all matches the time. and stuff like that. So you know there, there's always ways to you know for accessibility for these type of things now. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a real shame that they have gone with the the monetary route rather than giving back to the fans that you know and kept the cup as something special and that was available to everybody now and they're making it again a bit more select and a bit more elitist that you have to pay more money now even just to watch the good FA Cup uh, ties. Just ridiculous, isn't it? Absolutely ridiculous. Um, let's go through the last week's results then. So we'll start with the Premier League. Uh, obviously, we won't go into them sort of individually and go through every single result because we never do. Um, 
realistically, let's start at the top of the table. Liverpool, close to a victory against Burnley. City, really close to a victory against Everton. Starting to get a bit worrying for you, I'm sure, because even though you're keeping up with appearances and continuing to win, they're just not going away, are they? And I don't think they're going to go away. Well, Haaland's back, you know, he'd come back a couple of weeks ago and then been a little bit quiet off the ball, scores two goals. KDB's back and looks like he hasn't even been away. He's kind of seamlessly integrated back. Foden has picked up the baton in their absence and is continuing to uh, perform um, well. So, yeah, it looks um, very good for City. And we've said all along that we think they will take it. Um, I was actually down in Bournemouth last weekend because my old man's still in hospital. Um, and um, he brought up uh, the... Uh, we watched the uh, Arsenal-West Ham. said before, my old man's a, a West Ham fan. Um for the first like 30 minutes of the game, uh, Arsenal were literally all over. You know, you, you couldn't have got a more one. I think they had 90% possession, but West Ham looked quite sort of resolute, were holding out. You know, obviously they've got some decent players, you know, Bowden, uh, sorry, Foden, and um, like Bowen and um, Kudus that, you know, that they could potentially cause a, a problem on the break. And we know Arsenal have, have got a bit of fragility. And then one goal goes in, I think it was about the 33rd minute that they scored. And then they scored another three in six minutes, I think it was. So West Ham went went in 4-0 down at half-time uh, and just absolutely crumbled. Um, and then obviously, I think for West Ham, the kind of ultimate salt in the wounds is uh, the returning Declan Rice scores an absolute screamer. For the, Some the goals, goal. Some goals. It was an absolute screamer, but classy in that um didn't uh didn't celebrate in the slightest, did he? Kind of pushed like like didn't want didn't want people to celebrate with him and again thought that was a, a nice touch and a, a nice show of respect to the West Ham fans. I get that and I get some people have said exactly the same, but can you really celebrate that strongly when you it's got the sixth goal and you're absolutely... St- Regardless of opposition, it's got to be significantly easier not celebrating even a wonder goal when it's the sixth goal that's been unanswered in the game than, let's say, if he'd have scored the winner in the 90th minute. And I'm, I'm sure he's not that type of person, but... Yeah, it would have, it would have been interesting to say it was 1-0 and then he scored that goal in the 96th minute. What, what would he have done then? Um, I'm sure more than anything, he would have... He basically was kind of doing this sort of downplaying his hands sort of motion as if to, ever, like, to the other players to say, like, don't come and celebrate with me. But had he scored, even if he'd done that, you get the feeling he would have been mobbed by the other players jumping on him and then kind of then got involved in celebrations, even if he didn't want to celebrate. But yeah, it was kind of uh, heartbreaking, I'm sure, is for a West Ham fan, my old man just watched him get absolutely dipped and just completely fall apart like they did. So particularly as they've been... Pretty resolute for the first thirty minutes. The first thirty minutes, they hardly had the ball. They hardly strung two or three passes together. But they kind of looked solid-ish, and then they just absolutely collapsed. And Arsenal just they're such a threat of set pieces this season. The amount of goals that Saliba and uh, Gabriel seem to be scoring from from headers from set pieces. Um, you know, I think they've got the most goals from set pieces in the league. Um, and again, the kind of thing that was a kick in the teeth for, for Liverpool as well is obviously that's uh, we, had, we had the superior goal difference out of all of the teams, um, even Man City. 
But then when Arsenal go and spank at a 6 0 I think we still do have the best. But I think that drew them equal with Man City's goal difference, which I think Correct. is only one, one or two behind us, which I think isn't it. Yeah, you're on plus 32 and they're both on plus 31. But West Ham are a really strange team because I seem to, every single time I see them on TV, I seem to think that they always lose. And I think they've got a little bit of the Man U syndrome this year where I can't really remember them winning that many games. And yet I think they're currently eighth at West Ham and, and obviously Man U are currently sixth. And they look comfortably eighth. They're not going to struggle to, you know, they're not going to be caught in a relegation battle. And David Moyes is still going to get a load of slack. But yeah, they're, they're just a bit of a strange team. They're not going to get in Europe realistically. I think that's gone now. Um, their only hope is obviously to progress through the, the, the tournament. but. It's it's a strange season for them, I think. A very, very strange season for them. And I don't know what happens next with West Ham and I don't know what happens next with David Moyes because a lot of the fans, despite the fact that obviously he's brought them <laughs> European trophy, want him out. It seems to be sort of a 60-40 split at the moment. Yeah, and uh, one of my mates actually sent me um, a, a picture through. Um, I'll see if I can find it quickly while we're talking. but um, And was just saying, it, it, it basically said... What's going on in, is there a massive drugs problem in um, East London? Because um, there was a a poll done by one of the um, betting um, companies, I believe. Here it is. And uh, this was from Ladbrokes. Um, 76% of West Ham fans back them to finish in the top four. No chance. Well, that's <laughs> that, ridiculous. That, I, I'm guessing that must have been pre the 6-0. But yeah, like, and, and, and the, the, the caption from my mate who sent it around on the group that's got a West Ham fan in it, one of my mates, Wilf, is East London clearly has a massive drugs problem. Um, because, um, yeah, you that seems a ridiculously high number for where they're doing. They are, they are doing quite well. Like you say, they are not in any danger of getting sucked into a relegation battle or anything like that. But yeah, there is no chance they're getting top four. No, I mean, what are they, 11 points behind Spurs at this moment in time? And as hit and miss as Spurs have been, Spurs aren't going to fall away from 11 points. And then obviously you've got Man U, Newcastle and Villa who all sort of trudging along. There's no way that West Ham get above them. No way. No, totally agree. Uh, European football then. So obviously we had the the Champions League quite recently um we've got it back uh, it, i mean it's this week isn't it it's it was yesterday and, and the day before um the only real upset that sprung to mind uh without having the results in front of me and you know fantastic planning as always um what's going on at Bayern Munich is it well i do i do have results yeah. so i mean again i was just if we go through tuesday first just quickly so city obviously beat copenhagen 3-1 uh, Last-minute goal from Foden, give him a two-goal advantage. So I think we, that was a pretty much expected win, and no one would know they're going to go through it in uh, in that leg. Real scraped a one-nil win with a stunner from Raheem Diaz uh, against Leipzig. Um, but you're right, the shock of the the round was Lazio uh, beating Munich one-nil. Um, their woes continue because they also had Apolenko sent off and lost uh, five points, uh, sorry, lost 3-0 to Leverkusen at the weekend in the, in the battle of the top two uh, in uh, Germany, leaving them five points off top spot. 
And you're right that the point I make, that I've made in my notes, which I think is about what you were going to say, is how hilarious is it that Harry Kane leaves Spurs to go and win titles? Munich have won 11 straight Bundesliga titles, but the first season he goes there, they could not win it. Alonso, what have you done? You have you've won the title by virtue of a Spurs player, or, sorry, two Spurs player, um, because obviously Eric Dyer has gone across as well. Um, yeah, it's it's quite ridiculous, it, really. The only thing, the only thing is that I think you, you still you would still look at that as much as how well Leverkusen are doing. You, I would, I, I would certainly not. If I was a Leverkusen fan, I wouldn't be sat there smug like Man City fans. I think if you're a Man City fan, you're pretty safe in the knowledge that we know we're going to come through this and we're probably going to get the title. Personally, I don't think five points isn't a huge amount. Munich are Munich and still have that, you know, Leverkusen have never won it. So they've got, they haven't got players that have got particularly, you know, championship calibre uh, experience going in. And, you know, it's often worse being the hunted than being the hunters. So, I definitely don't think you can certainly count Bayern out of it. And five points for a team like that they have is not a huge amount. So I don't think it, it it's complete disaster for them yet. And I could certainly still see them pulling that back and winning, but they're not making it easy for themselves. This is normally the point where we would pivot onto boxing, but there isn't much boxing this week. But I do have a little bit of a bonus for you. Um, so instead of having a full boxing segment, what would you say, Ian, if I told you that misfits were allegedly in talks to bring Wayne Rooney in for a boxing match on one of their cards and they've offered him apparently a significant sum of money to do so? I would be delighted because I'd love to see that fat fucking man, you scummy bastard knocked out. So... Uh, as it's the first time you've ever said the word misfits and started something off about me going, oh, fuck, why is he talking about this nonsense now? Make me smile. I'd love to. And not being funny, what's this based off? The fact there's that, that viral video, that video years ago of him knocking out another man new player. I can't well, he got knocked it, out, didn't he? Was it him that got knocked out? He got knocked out in that video, yeah. I can't remember it. Why it's I can't remember it. Was it. it yeah, but... Um, yeah, that, what I mean, to, to, that, that's the thing with that misfits is one minute they try and claim to be, you know, a legitimate sporting thing, and you know, KSI is going on about it, or wants to be a professional boxer and legitimise things and blah blah blah, and then they do something stupid like that that's just a complete publicity stunt and just makes a mockery of everything that they're trying to legitimise in inverted commas, just absolute nonsense. It would fill Bardsley that sparked him out. Phil Bardsley. That, that's what that video is. It's Phil Bardsley and him. And then obviously it went viral, didn't it? And if you remember the celebration he did when he scored a goal, he pretended to box he, the corner flag and then went yeah. back. Classic. Um, Classic. Have they said who he might be fighting? Uh, no, but I, I can't imagine. If they did, and it's very doubtful, by the way, I think he's actually tried to already pour cold water on it, basically saying... There is an offer on the table, but I, I want to focus on football management and all this type of shit. Um, if he did, it would be almost certainly against someone that is absolutely bottom of the barrel, 
um, basically being fed to Wayne Rooney, which if you're being fed to Wayne Rooney, you are literally the worst of the worst. Of all the YouTuber boxers, you need to get out. One of those two massively obese guys that I remember you showed me before that fought each other. One of them. I tell you what, right. I Weird that you should say that. Me and Meg, um, a partner, watched a documentary on him the other day. So he was called Boogie2988, one of those guys. And he were like, it was the heaviest boxing match ever. It is one of the best documentaries I have ever watched. It's on YouTube. And it's all about how he was one of the first YouTubers that was really, really successful. Uh, he had loads of money. He's now bankrupt and has nothing left. He spent and it how on bookers. Uh, how did he make all this money? Just filming himself eat shit. He was just ranting, basically. I'm pretty sure he would put a camera in front of his face and he would rant about things like video games or new films coming out or, you know, geek culture and all this type of thing. And he was one of the OG YouTubers. So he got loads of money. His channel was fantastic. And then he started becoming sort of woe is me and complaining consistently, you know, oh, you need to pay me more money, blah, blah, blah. And it got to the point where basically... Um, people didn't want to listen to him anymore. He was too depressing, and he spent his entire. For- I'm not kidding when I say it. he spent his entire fortune on, on like KFC. No hookers. <laughs> he got loads of prostitutes and stuff. He just spent thousands and thousands of pounds, and he would pay them to go and get themselves a nice new bag and stuff after oh doing the deed God. with him. I mean, I feel so- how how bad must your life be to have to be paid to sleep with that man, like. <laughs> To not like, oh my god, like what? Ah, uh, how could you even do even think about what a horrendous situation that you'd have to be in in life to get paid to sleep with that monstrosity of a man? <laughs> monstrosity, it is really good though, definitely. I think it's called like the fall or the rise and fall of Boogie 2988. So if you're not going to do anything. Don't worry, I won't be watching it. I can tell you there's a million things I would rather watch than some fat fuck spending money on hookers. Uh, It ends ends with him doing shrooms in a forest because he gets told by his mate that if he does that, it will enlighten him and create a positive atmosphere for him to change his life around. It is one of the weirdest but also best things that I've watched in the last year. I would definitely recommend it. And on that note, perfect way to end it. Thanks very much as always for listening and we'll speak to you next week.